In nomine Patris, Filii, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, Creator blessed, and in our souls take up thy rest. Come with thy grace and heavenly aid to fill the hearts which thou hast made. The following is a reading from Don Prosper Guerinjay's The Liturgical Year. Whit Sunday, the day of Pentecost. Veni Sancte Spiritus, reple tuorum corda fidelium, et tui amoris in eis ignem ecende. Come, O Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and enkindle within them the fire of thy love. The great day which consummates the work that God has undertaken for the human race has at last shone upon the world. The days of Pentecost, as St. Luke says, are accomplished. Acts 2.1 We have had seven weeks since the Pasch, and now comes the day that opens the mysterious number of fifty. This day is the Sunday already made holy by the creation of the light and by the resurrection of Jesus. It is about to receive its final consecration and bring us the fullness of God. Ephesians 3.19 In the old and figurative law, God foreshadowed the glory that was to belong at a future period to the 50th day. Israel had passed the waters of the Red Sea thanks to the protecting power of his paschal lamb. Seven weeks were spent in the desert, which was to lead to the promised land. And the very morrow of those seven weeks was the day whereon was made the alliance between God and his people. The Pentecost, the 50th day, was honored by the promulgation of the Ten Commandments of the Divine Law. And every following year, the Israelites celebrated the great event by a solemn festival. But their Pentecost was figurative, like their Pasch. There was to be a second Pentecost for all people, as there was to be a second Pasch for the redemption of the whole world. The Pasch, with all its triumphant joys, belongs to the Son of God, the conqueror of death. Pentecost belongs to the Holy Spirit, for it is the day whereon he began his mission into this world, which henceforward was to be under his law. But how different are the two Pentecosts, the one on the rugged rugged rocks of Arabia amidst thunder and lightning promulgates a law that is written on tablets of stone. The second is in Jerusalem, on which God's anger has not as yet been manifested because it it still contains within its walls the first fruits of that new people over whom the spirit of love is to reign. In this second Pentecost, the heavens are not overcast, nor is the roar of thunder heard. The hearts of men are not stricken with fear as when God spake on Sinai. Repentance and gratitude are the sentiments now uppermost. A divine fire burns within their souls and will spread throughout the whole world. Our Lord Jesus had said, I am come to cast fire on the earth, and what will I but that it be kindled? St. Luke 12.49 The hour for the fulfillment of this word has come. The spirit of love, the Holy Ghost, the eternal uncreated flame, is about to descend from heaven and realize the merciful design of our Redeemer. Jerusalem is filled with pilgrims who have flocked thither from every country of the Gentile world. They feel a strange, mysterious expectation working in their souls. They are Jews and have come from every foreign land where Israel has founded a synagogue. They have come to keep the feasts of Pasch and Pentecost. Asia, Africa, and even Rome have their representatives. Amidst these Jews, properly so called, are to be seen many Gentiles who, from a desire to serve God more faithfully, have embraced the Mosaic Law and observances. They are called proselytes. This influx of strangers who have come to Jerusalem out of a desire to observe the law gives the city a Babel-like appearance, for each nation has its own language. They are not, however, under the influence of pride and prejudice, as are the inhabitants of Judea. Neither have they, these latter, known and rejected the Messiah, nor blasphemed his works whereby he gave testimony of his divine character. It may be that they took part with the other Jews in clamoring for Jesus' death, but they were led to it by the chief priests and magistrates of the Jerusalem, which they reverenced as the holy city of God, and to which nothing but religious motives had brought them. It is the hour of tears, the third hour of the day, our nine o'clock, fixed from all eternity for the accomplishment 
of a divine decree. It was at the hour of midnight that the Father sent into this world that he might take flesh in Mary's womb, the Son eternally begotten of himself. So now, at this hour of tears, the Father and the Son send upon the earth the Holy Spirit, who proceeds from them both. He is sent to form the church, the bride, and the kingdom of Christ. He is to assist and maintain her. He is to save and sanctify the souls of men. And this, his mission, is to continue to the end of time. Suddenly is heard coming from heaven the sound of a violent wind. It startles the people in the city. It fills the cynical with its mighty breath. A crowd is soon round the house that stands on Mount Sion. The hundred and twenty disciples that are within the building feel the mysterious emotion within them, of which their master once said, The Spirit breatheth where he will, and thou hearest his voice. St. John 3.8 Like that strange invisible creature which probes the very depth of the sea and makes the waves heave mountains high, this breath from heaven will traverse the world from end to end, breaking down every barrier that would stay its course. The Holy Assembly having been days in fervent expectation, the Divine Spirit gives them this warning of His coming, and they in the passiveness of ecstatic longing await His will. As to those who are outside the cynical and who have responded to the appeal thus given, let us for the moment forget them. A silent shower falls in the house. It is a shower of fire which, as Holy Church says, burns not but enlightens, consumes not but shines. Flakes of fire in the shapes of tongues rest on the heads of the 120 disciples. It is the Holy Ghost taking possession of all and each. The church is now not only in Mary, but also in these 120 disciples. All belong now to the Spirit that has descended upon them. His kingdom is begun, it is manifested, its conquest will be speedy and glorious. But let us consider the symbol chosen to designate this divine change. He who showed himself under the endearing form of a dove on the occasion of Jesus' baptism in the Jordan now appears under that of fire. He is the Spirit of love, and love is not only gentle and tender, it is also ardent as fire. Now therefore that the world is under the influence of the Holy Ghost, it must needs be on fire, and the fire shall not be checked. And why this form of tongues? To show that the heavenly fire is to be spread by the word, by speech. These hundred and twenty disciples need but to speak of the Son of God, made man, and our Redeemer, of the Holy Ghost who renews our souls, of the Heavenly Father who loves and adopts us as his children. Their word will find thousands to believe and welcome it, those that receive it shall all be united in one faith. They shall be called the Catholic Church, that is, universal, existing in all places and times. Jesus has said, Go, teach all nations. St. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. The Holy Ghost brings from heaven both the tongues that is to teach, and the fire, the love of God and of mankind, which is to give warmth and efficacy to the teaching. The tongue and the fire are now given to these first disciples, who by the assistance of the Holy Spirit will transmit them to others, so will it be to the end of time. An obstacle, however, opposes the mission at the very outset. Since the confusion at Babel, there have been as many languages as countries. Communication by word has been interrupted. How then is the word to become the instrument of the world's conquest and to make one family out of all these nations that cannot understand each other? Fear not, the Holy Spirit is all-powerful and has provided for this difficulty. With the other gifts wherewith he has enriched the hundred and twenty disciples, he has given them that of understanding all languages and of making themselves understood in every language. In a transport of holy enthusiasm, they attempt to speak the languages of all nations, their tongue and their ear take in, not only without effort, but even with charm and joy, the, this plentitude of word and speech, which is to reunite mankind together. The spirit of love has annulled the separation of Babel, Men are once more made brethren by the unity of language. How beautiful art thou, dear Church of our God! Heretofore the workings of the Holy Ghost have been limited, but now he breatheth freely where he willeth. He brings thee forth to the eyes of men by this stupendous prodigy. Thou art the image of what this earth was when all its inhabitants spoke the same language. The prodigy is not to cease with the day of Pentecost, nor with the disciples who are its first receivers. When the apostles have terminated their lives in preaching, the gift of tongues, at least in its miraculous form, will cease because no longer needed. But thou, O Church of Christ, wilt continue to speak all languages, even to the end of time, for thou art to dwell in every clime. The one same faith is to be expressed in the, same, in the language of every country, and thus transformed, the miracle of Pentecost is to be kept up forever within thee as one of thy characteristic marks.
The great St. Augustine alluded to this when he spoke the following admirable words, The whole body of Christ, the church, now speaks in all tongues. Nay, I myself speak all tongues, for I am in the body of Christ. I am in the church of Christ. If the body of Christ now speaks all languages, then I am I in all languages. Greek is mine, Syriac is mine, Hebrew is mine, and all are mine, for I am one with all the several nations that speak them. During the ages of faith, the church, which is the only source of all true progress, succeeded in giving one common language to all the nations that were in union with her. For centuries, the Latin language was the bond of union between civilized countries, however distant these might be from one another. There was this link of connection between them. It was the medium of communication for political negotiations, for the spread of science, or for friendly epistolary correspondence. No one was a stranger in any part of the West, or even beyond it, who could speak this language. The great heresy of the 16th century robbed us of this as so many other blessings. It dismembered that Europe which the Church had united, not only by her faith, but by her language. But let us return to the Cenacle and continue our contemplation of the wondrous workings of the Holy Spirit within this still-closed sanctuary. First of all, we look for Mary, for who, who now more than ever is full of grace, after those measureless gifts lavished upon her in her immaculate conception, after the treasures of holiness infused into her by the incarnate word during the nine months she bore him in her womb, after the special graces granted her for acting and suffering in union with her Son in the work of the world's redemption, after the favors wherewith the same Jesus loaded her when in the glory of his resurrection, we should have thought that heaven had given all it could to a mere creature, however sublime the destiny of that creature might be. But no. Here is a new mission opened for Mary. The church is born. She is born of Mary. Mary has given birth to the bride of her son. New duties fall upon the mother of the church. Jesus has ascended into heaven, leaving Mary upon the earth, that she may nurse the infant church. Oh, how lovely and yet how dignified is this infancy of our dear church, cherished as she is, fed and strengthened by Mary. But this second Eve, this true mother of the living, must receive a fresh infusion of grace to fit her for this her new office. Therefore, it is that she has the first claim to and the richest portion of the gifts of the Holy Ghost. Heretofore, he overshadowed her and made her mother of the Son of God. Now he makes her the mother of the Christian people. It is the verification of those words of the royal prophet, the stream, literally the impetuosity of the river, maketh the city of God joyful. The Most High hath sanctified his own tabernacle. Psalm 45.5 The spirit of love here fulfills the intention expressed by a Redeemer when dying on the cross. Woman, said Jesus to her, behold thy son. St. John was this son, and he represented all mankind. The Holy Ghost now infuses into Mary the plentitude of the grace needful for her maternal mission. From this day forward, she acts as mother of the infant church. And when at length the church no longer needs her visible presence, this mother quits the earth for heaven, where she is crowned queen. But there too she exercises her glorious title and office of mother of men. Let us contemplate this masterpiece of Pentecost and admire the new loveliness that beams in Mary from this new maternity. She is inflamed by the fire of divine love, and this in a way not felt before. She is all devoted to the office put upon her, and for which she has been left on earth. The grace of the apostle is granted to her. She has received the tongue of fire, and although her voice is not to make itself heard in public preaching, yet will she speak to the apostles directly in consoling them in their labors. She will speak, too, to the faithful, but with a force of a sweetness and a persuasiveness becoming of one whom God has made the most exalted of his creatures. The primitive Christians with such a training as this will have vigor and energy enough to resist all the attacks of hell, and like Stephen, who had only listened to her inspiring words, to die martyrs for the faith. Let us next look at the Apostolic College. The frequent instructions they have been receiving from their Lord during the forty days after his resurrection have changed them into quite other men. But now that they have received the Holy Ghost, the change in conversion is complete. They are filled with the enthusiasm of faith. Their souls are on fire with the divine love. The conquest of the whole world, this is their ambition, and they know it is their mission. What their master had told them is fulfilled. They are endued with power from on high. 
St. Luke 24:49, and are ready for the battle. Who would suppose that these are the men who crouched with fear when their Jesus was in the hands of, the, of his enemies? Who would take these to be the men that doubted of his resurrection? All that this beloved master has taught them is now so clear to them. They see it all. They understand it all. The Holy Ghost has infused into them, and in a sublime degree, the gift of faith. They are impatient to spread this faith throughout the whole earth. Far from fearing, they even long to suffer persecution in the discharge of the office entrusted to them by Jesus, that of preaching his name and his glory unto all nations. Look at Peter. You easily recognize him by that majestic bearing, which, though sweetly tempered by deep humility, bespeaks his preeminent dignity. A few hours ago, it was the tranquil gravity of the head of the Apostolic College. Now his whole face gleams with the flash of enthusiasm, for the Holy Ghost is now sovereign possessor of this vicar of Christ, this prince of the world, this master teacher of truth. Near him are seated the other apostles, Andrew, his elder brother, who now conceives that ardent passion for the cross, which is to be his grand characteristic. John, who meek and gentle, I now glistens with the fire of inspiration, betokening the prophet of Patmos. James, the brother of John, and called like him the son of thunder, St. Mark 3.17, bears in his whole attitude the appearance of the future chivalrous conqueror of Iberia. The other James, known and loved under the name of the brother of Jesus, feels a fresh and deeper transport of joyousness as the power of the Spirit thrills through his being. Matthew is encircled with a glowing light, which points him out to us as the first writer of the New Testament. Thomas, whose faith was the fruit he took from Jesus' wounds, feels that faith now made perfect. It is generous, free, unreserved, worthy of the brave apostle of the Far East. In a word, all twelve are living him up to the glory of the Almighty Spirit, whose power is thus magnificently evinced even at the outset of his reign. The disciples, too, are sharers though in a less degree than the apostles of the divine gift. They receive the same spirit, the same sacred fire, for they too are to go forth, conquer the world, and found churches. The holy women also, who form part of the assembly of the cynical, have received the graces of this wondrous descent of the Holy Ghost. It was love that emboldened them to stand near the cross of Jesus and to be the first to visit his sepulcher on Easter morning. This love is now redoubled. A tongue of fire has stood over earth, each of them, and the time will come when they will speak with fervid eloquence of Jesus to both Jews and Gentiles. The synagogue will banish Magdalene and her companions. The Gentiles of our Western Europe will receive them, and the word of these holy exiles will produce a hundredfold of fruit. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews has collected round the mysterious cynical. Not only has the mighty wind excited their curiosity, but moreover, the same divine spirit which who is working such wonders upon the holy assembly within is impelling them to visit the house wherein is the newborn church of Christ. They clamor for the apostles, and these are burning with zeal to begin their work. So too are all. At once, then, the crowd sees these men standing in the midst and relating the prodigy that has been wrought by the God of Israel. What is the surprise of this multitude composed as it is of people of so many different nations, when these poor uneducated Galileans address them, each in the language of his own country. They have heard them speak before this, and they expected a repetition of the jargon now, when, lo, there is correct accent and diction of every country, and with such eloquence. The symbol of unity is here shown in all its magnificence. Here is the Christian church. It is one, though consisting of such varied elements, the walls of division which divine justice had set up between nation and nation are now removed. Here also are the heralds of the faith of Christ. They are ready for their grand mission. They long to traverse the earth and to save it by the word of their preaching. But in the crowd there are some who are shocked at witnessing this heavenly enthusiasm of the apostles. These men, say they, are full of new wine. It is the language of rationalism explaining away mystery by reason. These Galileans, these drunken men, are, however, to conquer the whole world to Christ and to give the Holy Ghost with his inebriating unction to all mankind. The holy apostles feel that it is time to proclaim the new Pentecost. Yes, this anniversary of the old is a fitting day for the new to be declared. But in this proclamation of the law of mercy and love, which is to suspend the law of justice and fear, who is to be the Moses? 
our Emmanuel, before ascending into heaven, had selected one of the twelve for the glorious office. It is Peter, the rock on whom is built the church. It is time for the shepherd to show himself and speak, for the flock is now to be formed. Let us hearken to the Holy Ghost, who is about to speak by his chief organ, to this wondering and attentive multitude. The apostle, though he speaks in one tongue, is understood by each of his audience, no matter what his country and language may be. The discourse is, of itself, a guarantee of the truth and divine origin of the new law. The fisherman of Genesareth thus pours forth his wondrous eloquence. Ye men of Judea, and all you that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known to you, and with your ears receive my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, seeing it it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which is, was spoken of by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith the Lord, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and upon my servants indeed, and upon my handmaids I will pour out in these, in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you, by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you also know, this same being delivered up by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you by the hands of wicked men have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the sorrows of hell, the tomb, as it was impossible that he should be holden by it. For David saith concerning him, My flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in the tomb, nor suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Ye men, brethren, let me freely speak to you of the patriarch David, that he died and was buried, and his sepulchre is with us to this day. Whereas therefore he was a prophet, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, for neither was he left in the tomb, neither did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised again, whereof all we are witnesses, being exalted by the right hand of God, and having received to the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath poured forth this which you see and hear. Therefore let all the houses of Israel know most certainly that God hath made both Lord and Christ this same Jesus, whom you have crucified. Acts 2, 14-36 Thus did the second Moses promulgate the new law. How must his hearers have welcomed the stupendous gift of this new Pentecost, which put them in possession of the divine realities foreshadowed by that figurative one of old. Here again it was God revealing himself to his creatures, and as usual by miracles. Peter alludes to the wonders wrought by Jesus, who thus bore testimony to his being the Messiah. He tells his audience that the Holy Ghost has been sent from heaven according to the promise made to this Jesus by his Father. They have proof enough of the great fact in the gift of tongues of which they themselves are witnesses. The Holy Spirit makes his presence and influence to be felt in the hearts of these favored listeners. A few moments previously, they were disciples of Sinai, who had come from distant lands to celebrate the bygone Pasch and Pentecost. Now they have faith, simple and full faith, in Christ. They repent of the awful crime of his death, of which they have been accomplices. They confess his resurrection and ascension. They beseech Peter and the rest of the apostles to put them in the way of salvation. Men and brethren, say they, what shall we do? Acts 2.37 Better dispositions could not be. They desire to know their duty and are determined to do it. Peter resumes his discourse saying, Do penance and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all that are afar off, whomsoever the Lord our God shall call. Acts 2.38-39 and 39. The Jewish Pentecost pales at each word of the new Moses. The Christian Pentecost manifests itself with clearer light. The reign of the Holy Ghost is inaugurated in Jerusalem and under the very shadow of that temple which is doomed to destruction. Peter continues his instructions, but the sacred volume has left us only these few words wherewith probably the apostle made his final appeal to his hearers. Save yourselves from this perverse generation. Acts 2.40 These children of Israel had to make this sacrifice or they never could have shared in the graces of the new Pentecost. They had to cut themselves off from their own people. They had to leave the synagogue for the church. There was a struggle in many a heart at that moment, but the Holy Spirit triumphed. 
3,000 declared themselves disciples of Christ and received the mark of adoption in holy baptism. Church of the living God, how lovely art thou in thy first reception of the divine spirit! How admirable is thy early progress! Thy first abode was in the Immaculate Mary, the virgin full of grace, the mother of God. Thy second victory gave thee the hundred and twenty disciples of the Cenacle, and now three thousand elect proclaim thee as their mother, and leaving the unhappy Jerusalem, will carry thy name and kingdom to their own countries. Tomorrow Peter is to preach in the temple, and five thousand men will enroll themselves as disciples of Jesus of Nazareth. Hail then, dear creation of the Holy Ghost, militant on earth, triumphant in heaven, beautiful, noble, immortal church, all hail, and thou, bright Pentecost, day of our truest birth, how fair, how glorious, thou makest these first hours of Jesus' bride on earth. The divine spirit thou givest us has written not upon stone but upon our hearts the law that is to govern us. In thee, O Pentecost, we find realized the hopes foreshadowed in the mystery of the Epiphany. For though thou thyself art promulgated in Jerusalem, yet thy graces are to be extended to the, all the that are far off, that is, to us Gentiles. The Magi came from the east. We watched them as they visited the crib of the divine babe, for we knew that we, too, were to have our season of grace. It was thou, O Holy Spirit, thou didst attract them to Bethlehem. And now, in this Pentecost of thy power, thou callest all men. The star is changed into tongues of fire, and the face of the earth is to be renewed. O grant that we may ever be faithful to the graces thou offerest us, and carefully treasure the gifts sent us with thee and through thee by the Father and the Son. The mystery of Pentecost holds so important a place in the Christian dispensation that we cannot be surprised at the Church's ranking it in her liturgy on an equality with her paschal solemnity. The Pasch is the redemption of man by the victory of Christ. Pentecost is the Holy Ghost taking possession of man redeemed. The Ascension is the intermediate mystery. It consummates the Pasch by placing the man-god, the conqueror of death, and our head at the right hand of the Father. It prepares the mission of the Holy Ghost to our earth. This mission could not take place until Jesus had been glorified, as St. John tells us, St. John 7.39. And several reasons are assigned for this fact by the Holy Fathers. It was necessary that the Son of God, who together with the Father, is the principle of the procession of the Holy Ghost, and the divine essence should also personally send this divine spirit upon the earth. The exterior mission of the one of the three persons is, to, is but the sequel and manifestation of the mysterious and eternal production which is ever going on with the divinity. Thus the Father is not sent, either by the Son or by the Holy Ghost, because he does not proceed from them. The Son is sent to men by the Father, of whom he is eternally begotten. The Holy Ghost is sent by the Father and the Son, because he proceeds from both. But in order that the mission of the Holy Ghost might give greater glory to the Son, there was a congruity in its not taking place until such time as the incarnate Word should be enthroned at the right hand of the Father. How immense the glory of human nature that it was hypostatically united to the person of the Son of God when this mission of the Holy Ghost was achieved, and that we can say in strict truth the Holy Ghost was sent by the man-God. This divine mission was not to be given to the third person until men were deprived of the visible presence of Jesus. As we have already said, the hearts of the faithful were henceforward to follow their absent Redeemer by a pure and holy spiritual love. Now who was to bring us this new love if not he who is the link of the eternal love of the Father and the Son? This Holy Spirit of love and union is called in the sacred scriptures the gift of God. And it is on the day of Pentecost that the Father and the Son send us this ineffable gift. Let us call to mind the words spoken by our Emmanuel and to the Samaritan woman at the well of Sychar. If thou didst know the gift of God, St. John 4.10, he had not yet been given, he had not yet been manifested otherwise than in a partial way. From this day forward, he inundates the whole earth with his, with his fire. He gives spiritual life to all. He makes his influence felt in every place. We know the gift of God so that we have but to open our hearts to receive him, as did the 3,000 who listened to St. Peter's sermon. Observe, too, the season of the year in which the Holy Ghost comes to take possession of his earthly kingdom. Our Jesus, the Son of Justice, arose in Bethlehem in the very depth of winter. 
humble and gradual was his ascent to the zenith of his glory. But the Spirit of the Father and the Son came in the season that harmonizes with his own divine characteristic. He is a consuming fire. Deuteronomy 4.24 He comes into the world when summer is in its pride, and sunshine decks our earth with loveliest flowers. Let us welcome the life-giving heat of the Holy Ghost, and earnestly beseech him that it may ever abide within us. The liturgical year has brought us to the full possession of truth by the Incarnate Word. Let us carefully cherish the love which the Holy Ghost has now enkindled within our hearts. The Christian Pentecost, prefigured by the ancient one of the Jews, is of the number of the feasts that were instituted by the Apostles. As we have already remarked, it formally shared with Easter the honor of the solemn administration of baptism. Its octave, like that of Easter, and for the same reason, ended with the Saturday following the feast, the catechumens received baptism on the night between Saturday and Sunday, so that the Pentecost solemnity began on the vigil, for the neophytes at once put on their white garments. On the eighth day, the Saturday, they laid them aside. In the Middle Ages, the Feast of Pentecost was called by the beautiful name of the Pasch of Roses, just as the Sunday within the octave of the Ascension was termed the Sunday of Roses. The color and fragrance of this lovely flower were considered by our Catholic forefathers as emblems of the tongues of fire, which rested on the heads of the 120 disciples and poured forth the sweet gifts of love and grace on the infant church. The same idea suggested the red-colored vestments for the liturgical services during the whole octave. In his Rationale, a work which abounds in most interesting information regarding the medieval liturgical usages, Durandus tells us that in the 13th century, a dove was allowed to fly about in the church, and flowers and lighted tow were thrown down from the roof during the Mass on Whit Sunday. These were allusions to the two mysteries of Jesus' baptism and the descent of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. At Rome, the station is in the Basilica of St. Peter. It was but just that special honor should be paid to the Prince of the Apostles, for it was on this day that his preaching won 3,000 converts to the church. Though the station and the indulgences attached to it are at St. Peter's, yet the Sovereign Pontiff and the Sacred College of Cardinals solemnized today's service in the Lateran Basilica, which is the mother church of the city and of the world. Mass. The Holy Sacrifice is now to be celebrated. Filled with the Holy Ghost, the Church is about to pay the solemn tribute of her gratitude by offering the Divine Victim, who by his immolation merited for us the great gift, the Spirit. The introit has been begun by the choir, and with an unusual joy and enthusiasm. The Gregorian chant has few finer pieces than this. As to the words, they give us a prophecy which receives its fulfillment today. It is taken from the Book of Wisdom. The Holy Spirit fills the whole earth with his presence, and as a pledge of his being with us, he gives to the apostles the gift of tongues. Spiritus Domine replevit orbem terrarum, alleluia, et hoc quod continent omnia scientiam habet vocis, alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. The Spirit of the Lord hath filled the whole world, alleluia, and that which containeth all things hath knowledge of the voice, alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Exurgat Deus et dissipentur inimici eus, et fugiant qui odorunt eum a facia eus. Gloria Patria Filio, et Spiritui Sancto, sicuter in principio, et nunc et semper, et in saecula saeculorum. Amen. Let God arise and his enemies be dispersed, and let them that hate him flee before his face. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Spiritus Domini replevit orbem terrarum, alleluia, et hoc quod continent omnia scientiam habet vocis, alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. The Spirit of the Lord hath filled the whole world, alleluia, and that which containeth all things hath knowledge of the voice, alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. The collect tells us what favors we should petition from, for from our Heavenly Father on such a day as this. It also tells us that the Holy Ghost brings us two principal graces, a relish for the things of God and a consolation of heart. Let us pray that we may receive both the one and the other, that we may thus become perfect Christians. O God, who by the light of the Holy Ghost didst this day instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that by the same Spirit we may relish what is right and ever rejoice in his consolation. 
Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Lesson from the Acts of the Apostles, Chapter 2 When the days of Pentecost were accomplished, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a mighty wind coming, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them parted tongues, as it were, of fire, and it sat upon every one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they began to speak with diverse tongues according to as the Holy Ghost gave them to speak. Now there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded in mind, because that every man heard them speak in his own tongue. And they were all amazed and wondered, saying, Behold, are not all these that speak Galileans? And how have we heard every man of our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, and inhabitants of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews also and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we have heard them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Four great events mark the sojourn of man on earth, and each of them is a proof of God's infinite goodness towards us. The first is the creation of man and his vocation to a supernatural state, which gives him at as his last end, the eternal vision and possession of God. The second is the incarnation of the divine word, who by uniting the human to the divine nature, raises a created being to a, to a participation of the divinity, and at the same time provides the victim needed for redeeming Adam and his race from the state of perdition into which they fell by sin. The third event is that which we celebrate today, the descent of the Holy Ghost. The fourth is the second coming of the Son of God, when he will fit free his bride, the church, from the shackles of mortality, and lead her to heaven, there to celebrate his eternal nuptials with her. In these four divine acts, the last of which has not yet been accomplished, is included the whole history of mankind. All other events bear more or less upon them. Of course, the sensual man perceiveth not these things. 1 Corinthians 2.14 He never gives them a thought. The light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness doth not comprehend it. St. John 1.5 Blessed then be the God of mercy, who hath called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, the light of faith. 1 Peter 2.9 He has made us children of that generation, which is not of flesh, nor of blood, nor of the will of man, but of God. St. John 1.13 It is by this grace that we are now at all, all attention to the third of God's great works, the descent of the Holy Ghost. We have been listening to the thrilling account given of his coming, that mysterious storm, that fire, those tongues, that sacred enthusiasm of the disciples have told us so much of God's plans upon this world. We could not but say within ourselves, Has God loved the world so much as this? When our Redeemer was living with us on the earth, he said to one of his disciples, God hath so loved the world as to give it his only begotten Son. John 3.16 The mystery achieved today forces us to complete these words and say, The Father and the Son have so loved the world as to give it their own divine spirit. Let us gratefully accept the gift and learn what man is. Rationalism and naturalism will have it that man's true happiness consists in following their principles, which are principles of pride and sensuality. Faith, on the contrary, teaches us humility and mortification, and these bring us to union with our infinite good. The first Alleluia versicle is formed from the words of one of the Psalms where David shows us the Holy Ghost as the author of the new creation, as the renewer of the earth. The second is the fervent prayer whereby the church invokes the spirit of love upon her children. It is always said kneeling. Alleluia, Alleluia, emite spiritum tuum et creambuntur et renovabis faciem terre. Alleluia, alleluia, send forth thy spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Here all kneel. Alleluia, veni sancte spiritus, reple tuorum corda fidelium, et tui amoris in eis ignem acende. Alleluia, come, O Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and kindle within them the fire of thy love. Then is immediately added the sequence. It was composed about the end of the 12th century. Its authorship has been ascribed, and not without reasonable probability, to the great Pope Innocent III. 
It is a hymn of exquisite beauty and is replete with tenderest love for him who is co-equal God with the Father and the Son and who is now about to establish his empire in our hearts. Veni Sancte Spiritus et emite celitus lucis tue radium veni pater pauperum veni dator munerum veni lumen cordium consolator optime ducis hospes anime duce refrigerium in labore requies in estu temperies infletu solatium o lux beatissima reple cordis initsima tuorum fidelium sine tuum numine nihil est in homine nihil est inoxium lava quod est sordidum riga quod est aridum sana quod est saucium flecte quod est rigidum fove quod est frigidum rege quod est devium datuis fidelibus inte confidentibus sacrum septenarium da virtutis meritum, da salutis exitum, da pareni gaudium. Amen. Alleluia. Come, O Holy Spirit, and send from heaven a ray of thy light. Come, Father of the poor. Come, giver of gifts. Come, thou light of our hearts. Thou best of comforters, the soul's sweet guest and refreshment, her rest and toil, her shelter and heat, her solace and her woe. O most blessed light, Fill the inmost soul of thy faithful. Without the divine assistance, there is not in man, there is not but evil. Cleanse our defilements, water our dryness, heal our wounds. Bend our stubborn will, warm up our cold hearts, guide our straying steps. Give to thy faithful who hope in thee thy holy seven gifts. Give them the merit of virtue. Give them the happy issue of salvation. Give them endless joy. Amen. Alleluia. Sequel of the Holy Gospel according to John chapter 14. At that time Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone loved me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my words. And the word which you have heard is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things have I spoken to you, abiding with you. But the paraclete, the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and bring all things to your mind whatsoever I shall have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth do I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. You have heard that I said to you, I go away, and I come unto you. If you loved me, you would indeed be glad because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes to pass, that when it shall come to pass, you may believe. I will not now speak many things with you, for the prince of this world cometh, and in me he hath not anything, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father hath given me commandment, so do I. The coming of the Holy Ghost is not only an event which concerns mankind at large. Each individual of the human race is invited to receive this same visit, which today renews the face of the earth. Psalm 103.30 The merciful design of the Sovereign Lord of all things is to contract a close alliance with each one of us. Jesus asks but one thing of us, that we love him and keep his word. If we do this, he promises us that the Father will love us and will take up his abode in our soul. He tells us that the Holy Ghost is to come, and he is coming that he may, by his presence, complete the habitation of God within us. The sacred trinity will turn this poor dwelling into a new heaven until such time as we shall be taken after this life to the abode where we shall see our infinitely dear guest, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, whose love for us is so incomprehensibly great. In the same passage of the Gospel, which is taken from his sermon at the Last Supper, Jesus teaches us that the Holy Spirit, who this day descends upon us, is sent indeed by the Father, but sent in the name of the Son. A little further on, in the same sermon, Jesus says that it is he himself who sends the paraclete. St. John 16.7 These modes of expression show us the relations which exist in the Trinity between the first two persons in the Holy Ghost. This divine spirit is the spirit of the Father, but he is also the spirit of the Son. It is the Father who sends him, but the Son also sends him, for he proceeds from the two as from one principle. 
On this great day of Pentecost, our gratitude should therefore be the same to the Son who is wisdom as to the Father who is power. For the gift that is sent to us from heaven comes from both. From all eternity the the Father has begotten his Son, and when the fullness of time came, he gave him to men that he might assume our human nature and be our mediator and savior. From all eternity, the Father and the Son have produced the Holy Ghost, and when the time marked and the divine decree came, they sent him here upon our earth, that he might be to us, as he is between the Father and the Son, the principle of love. Jesus teaches us that the mission of the Holy Ghost followed his own, because men required to be initiated into truth by him who is wisdom. For how could they love what they did not know? But no sooner had Jesus consummated his work and exalted his human nature to the throne of God his Father, than he, together with the Father, send the Holy Ghost, in order that he may maintain within us that word which is spirit and life, St. John 6, 64, and which leads us on to love. The offertory is taken from Psalm 67, where David foretells the coming of the divine spirit, whose mission it is to confirm what Jesus has wrought. The cynical is grander than the temple of Jerusalem. Henceforth the church is to take the place of the synagogue, and kings and people will become her submissive children. Confirm, O God, what thou hast wrought in us. From thy temple, which is in Jerusalem, kings shall offer presents to thee. Alleluia. Having before her on the altar the sacred gifts which have been presented to the divine majesty, the church prays in the secret that the coming of the Holy Ghost may be to the faithful a fire which may consume all their dross, and a light which may give them a more perfect understanding of the teachings of the Son of God. Sanctify, we beseech thee, O Lord, these oblations, and purify our hearts by the light of the Holy Ghost. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. It is truly meet and just, right, and available to salvation, that we should always and in all places give thanks to thee, O Holy Lord, Father Almighty, Eternal God, through Christ our Lord, who, ascending above all the heavens and sitting at thy right hand, sent down the promised Holy Spirit this day upon the children of adoption. Wherefore the whole world displays its exceeding great joy, the heavenly virtues also, and the angelic powers sing in concert a hymn to thy glory, saying unceasingly, Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus. The words of the communion anthem are from the epistle. They celebrate the solemn moment of the descent of the Holy Ghost. Jesus has given himself to the faithful in the blessed sacrament, but it was the Holy Spirit who prepared them for such a favor, who changed the bread and wine into the body and blood of the divine victim, and who will assist the faithful to cooperate with the grace of this holy communion, which nourishes and strengthens their souls unto life everlasting. Factus est repente de celo sonus, tamquam adviantis spiritus vehementis, ubi erant sedentes, alleluia et repleti sunt omnes spiritus sancto, loquentes magnalia dei, alleluia, alleluia. Suddenly there came a noise from heaven, as of a strong rushing wind, where they were sitting, alleluia, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and published the wonderful works of God, alleluia, alleluia. Put by the sacred mysteries in possession of her spouse, the church prays in the post-communion that the Holy Ghost may abide forever in our souls, she also speaks of the, that prerogative of the divine spirit whereby he turns our hearts from being dry and barren of good into very Edens of fruitfulness. How consoling the thought that our hearts are to be sprinkled with the dew of the paraclete. Sancti Spiritus Domine Corda Nostra Mundet Infusio et Sui Roris Intima Asperisone Fecundet Perdominum. May the pouring forth of thy Holy Ghost into our hearts cleanse them, O Lord, and render them fruitful by the inward sprinkling of the dew of his grace. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, thy Son, in the unity with the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Agreeably to our usual practice, we will conclude the festival with a selection of liturgical pieces taken from the several churches. We have been joining in the prayers of the Holy Roman Church. Now let us listen to the Greek Church, the following hymn, which was composed by St. John Damascene, is taken from the Pentecostorian. Coming forth from the mysterious cloud that covered him, the tongue-tied Moses promulgated the law written by God. For closing his eyes to material things, he learned to see him who is, and praised in sacred songs the spirit he had been taught to know. 
the venerable lips, those words were ever grave, said to his apostles, Depart not from Jerusalem, my friends, for when I shall be seated on my Father's high throne, I will pour forth on you, who desire the light, the infinite grace of the Spirit. Having consummated his course, the word, ever faithful to his promise, fills their hearts with sweet, with sweet peace. For having accomplished his work, Christ, as he had promised, gladdened his dear disciples, filling the cenacle with a mighty wind, and giving them the spirit in the form of fiery tongues. How incomprehensible is the power of our most holy God! Of illiterate men he made orators, whose words silenced philosophers, and by the bright spirit that was within them rescued countless people from the thick night of error. This almighty spirit, the illuminating and incorruptible brightness, proceeds from the uncreated light, from the Father and the Son. To the whole earth this day, and on Mount Sion, is he made known in all his effulgence by a voice of fire. And thou, O Son of God, one person in two natures, has prepared the divine labor of regeneration, whose water flowed from the wound of thy divine side, a word of God. The Holy Ghost gives fruitfulness to the font by his own glowing flame. You who adore the triple-lighted essence, you are the true servants of the sovereign God. This day did Christ, our benefactor, accomplish his divine work. He gave us for our salvation's sake the whole grace of the Spirit, and he gave it in the form of fire. O children of the church, children of light, receive the dew of the Holy Spirit, the dew that burns away the dross of sin. Now hath the law gone forth from Sion, the grace of the Spirit in the form of a fiery tongue. There was a time when the shrill voice of many instruments bade the multitude adore a lifeless statue of gold. But now, by the life-giving grace of the paraclete, men are made worthy to sing. O one, co-equal, and unbeginning trinity, we bless thee. The senseless crowd, when they heard the apostles speaking in diverse tongues, forgot the prophecy of Joel and said, These men are drunk with wine. But we, instructed by God, cry out with fervent hearts, O thou, the renewer of the world, we bless thee. The hour of tears was chosen for this effusion of grace, showing us that we should adore the three persons in the oneness of power. Blessed art thou, Father, Son, and Spirit, on this, the now first of days, the Sunday. The Armenian Church offers us the following stanzas, which are well worthy of our admiration. They were written about the 5th century, and their authorship has been assigned by some to Moses of Koren, by others to John Matagoni. The dove sent unto men has descended from heaven amidst a mighty sound. It came in the form of light, which with its bright fire burned not but strengthened the disciples as they sat in the sacred cenacle. The dove is the spirit, the unsearchable, that searcheth the deep things of God. He proceeds from the Father. He announces the second and dread coming. We are taught to believe him consubstantial with the Father. Praise in the highest heavens to him that proceeds from the Father, the Holy Ghost. The apostles were inebriated with his immortal chalice, and they invited earth to heaven. O divine and life-giving spirit, O lover of mankind, thou didst illumine with tongues of fire the apostles who were assembled together in the bond of love. Wherefore do we also this day celebrate thy holy coming? The holy apostles were gladdened by thy coming, and people of diverse tongues were united together, who before were strangers to each other. Wherefore do we also this day celebrate thy holy coming? By them thou didst, by holy and spiritual baptism, beautify the whole earth with a bright and new garment. Wherefore do we also this day celebrate thy holy coming? Thou, O Holy Spirit, who sittest on the chariot of the cherubim, didst this day descend upon the choir of the apostles. Be thou blessed, O immortal King. Thou, O Holy Spirit, that walkest on the wings of the winds, didst this day rest in divided tongues of fire on the apostles. Be thou blessed, O immortal King. Thou, O Holy Spirit, that carest in thy providence for thy creatures, didst this day come to strengthen thy church. Be thou blessed, O immortal King. The Ambrosian Liturgy contains this fine preface, which, though short, expresses the whole mystery of Pentecost. Equum et salutare nos in hec precipua festivitate gaudere quae sacratissimum pasca quinquaginta dierum mysteriis te gitur et mystericus numerus adipletur et disperio, dispersio linguarum quae dundum 
per superbiam in confusione facta fuerat, nunc per spiritum sanctum adudantur, hodie enim de celis repente, sonum adientes apostoli unius fidei symbolum exceperunt, et linguis varis evangelii tui gloriam cunctis gentibus tridenterunt per Christum Domnum Nostrum. It is just and available to salvation that we rejoice on this great solemnity whereon the Most Holy Pasch is veiled with the mystery of the fifty days, and the mystic numbers completed, and the division of tongues caused in times long past by pride is now remedied by the unity produced by the Holy Ghost. For on this day a sound was suddenly heard by the apostles, and receiving the symbol of the one faith, they, in diverse tongues, taught all nations the glory of thy gospel through Christ our Lord. The Gothic Church of Spain celebrates the glorious mystery of Pentecost with its wanted eloquence and enthusiasm. The Mozarabic Missal gives us this magnificent elation or preface. It is meet and just, O Almighty God, that we acknowledge to be the best of human power, the blessing of thy gifts, and celebrate by yearly commemoration the eternal salvation that was this day granted to mankind. For which of us would dare to be silent concerning the coming of thy Holy Spirit, when through thine apostles not a tongue of even barbarous nations was silent? But who can narrate the descent of the fire which this day fell, giving to the disciples the diverse tongues of all nations, in such wise that, when the Latin spoke to the Hebrew, or Greek to the Egyptian, or the Scythian to the Indian, and used his own language, or heard the foreigners, neither he that listened nor he that spoke failed to understand. Who could describe the power that by its own free strength imparted the gift of one and the same heavenly doctrine to them that were to preach the word of truth throughout the whole world? And though the distribution of manifold knowledge was beautiful beyond measure, and the gift of tongues was made admirable by its multiplied variety, yet was there nothing in all that this that jarred with the unity of faith. From this we learn that diversity of tongues is no hindrance to men's praising their Lord, and that it matters not that different men profess their faith in different languages, provided all believe in the same God. We therefore beseech thee, O Lord, to accept this our homage of praise, which comes from the hearts of the children of promise. By the infusion of thy divine spirit, bless and sanctify our souls, that thus we may hope for and receive the favors thou hast promised to thy faithful people. Among the numberless gifts and operations of the Holy Ghost, which were the generous outpouring of thy glory for our salvation's sake, nothing was grander at the beginning of the church than that a few men should speak the languages of all nations and in the same preach thy gospel. Such a prodigy as this could only have been by the inspiring grace of the Holy Ghost, who came to us after the seven weeks of thy Son's glorious resurrection, hereby showing us that although he be sevenfold in his gifts, yet that he is the perfection of all the virtues blended into one whole. Just as seven is a separate number in itself, yet is it found in each of the other numbers. These, without doubt, are the seven steps of thy temple, whereby man is to mount to the kingdom of heaven. This is the fiftieth year of remission, that celebrated mysterious type of the old law. This is the harvest of the first fruits, which we are commanded to offer up on this day. They are the fruits which though eternal and existing before all ages, yet are new, because now first made known to us. Neither was it without a mysterious meaning that this gift was poured out upon us on the tenth day after the ascension of thy Son. It is showed to us that this was the coin of ten, the denarius, promised by the father of the family to the laborers in the vineyard. Great indeed and exceedingly necessary was this sign of thy divine gift, that when the fiery tongues rested on the heads of the disciples, there should be produced nothing in the hearts of the believers that was discordant or tepid, but that the preachers of thy word should be unanimous in the truth and fervent in charity. O blessed fire that burns yet gives fruitfulness, every intellectual being confesses by the principle of life that is in it that this fire is the omnipotent God. The cherubim and seraphim thus called because of their burning more ardently with this fire Praise the blessed three, confessing them to be co-equal in holiness and almighty power. Together with the hymning choirs of the heavenly hosts, they rest not, not nor grow tired of their office, but with unceasing jubilation sing, adore, and praise, saying, 
Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus. The mystery of Pentecost was celebrated by the Latin churches of the Middle Ages in the most admirable sequences. We will offer some of these to our readers during the octave. The one we select for today was composed by the good King Robert of France. Sancti Spiritus ad sit nobis gratia, que corda nostra sibi faciat habidaculum. May the grace of the Holy Spirit descend upon us and make our hearts a dwelling for himself. Expulsis inde cunctis vitis spiritalibus, by driving away from them all their spiritual vices. Spiritus alme illustrator ominum oridas nostre mentis purga tenebras. O dear spirit, thou enlightener of man, dispel from our souls the horrid darkness that is in them. Amator sancte sensatorum, O divine lover of holy thoughts. Semper cogitatum infunde unctionem tuam clemens nostris sensibus. Mercifully infuse thine unction into our minds. Tu purificator omnium flagitorum spiritus. O Spirit, purifier of all our sins. Purifica nostri oculum interoris ominis. Purify the eye of our inward man. Ut videri supremus genitor posit anobis, that we may be enabled to see the Sovereign Father. Mundi cordis quem soli cenere posunt oculi, when none can see save them that are clean of heart. Profetas tu inspiri asti ut preconia Christi precinuisent inclita. T'was thou that inspirest the prophets and gave, gavest them to foretell the grand glories of Christ. Apostolos confortasti ut tropeum Christi per totum orbem veherent. T'was thou that strengthens the apostles that they might carry the trophy of Christ throughout the whole world. Quando machinam per verbum sum fecit Deus, celi terre marium. When God by his word created the heavens, earth, and seas, tu super aquas forturus eas numentum expandisti spiritus, thou, O Holy Spirit, didst stretch thy divine and foster, fostering influence upon the waters. Tu animabus vivificandis aquas fecundas, making them fruitful with living beings. Tu aspirando das spiritales esse homines, by thine inspiration thou makest men to be spiritual. Tu divisum per linguas mundum et ritus adunasti domine. Thou, O Lord, didst give unity to the world, which heretofore was divided in language and religion. Idolatras at cultum de rovacas magistorum optime. O best of masters, thou bringest idolaters to the worship of the true God. Ergo nos supplicantes tibi exodi propitius sancte spiritus. Therefore mercifully hear us who offer thee our prayers, O Holy Spirit. Sine quo preces omnes cese creduntur et ingine dedi oribus tuqui omnium seculorum sanctos tui numinis docu, docuisti Instinctu amplectendo spiritus, without whom all our prayers are vain and unworthy to be presented to God. T'was thou, divine spirit, that by thy divine attractive instinct didst teach the saints of every age. Ipse hodie apostolus Christi donans munere insulito et cunctis inaudito seculis hunctiem gloriosum fecisti. Amen. T'was thou that by enriching the apostles of Christ with thy, with the incomparable gift, the gift unheard of in previous ages, didst make this day so glorious. Amen. Oh, <laughs> 
Sapere, ed de Jesus, sempre consolazione gaudere. 